Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. His name is Jesus. We're just really focusing on the name Jesus. I don't know about you, but there's just there's power in the name of Jesus. I think I think uh, sometimes we uh, I've, I've heard. Have you ever heard someone pray? And they were so articulate and so powerful that you just thought, man, I wish I could pray like that person. Man, I wish I could pray with the conviction and the excitement and the, just the, you know, the power of that person. Can I tell you, no matter how complicated or how sophisticated you've ever heard someone pray, I've still not discovered a prayer that's more powerful than just the name Jesus. Some of the greatest times of my life, I don't have time to articulate, but I can say Jesus and his power comes to me. And today I want to talk to you, matter of fact, this message, um, it's, it, we're going to talk about Jesus in the garden, but the message should really be entitled, Surviving the Crushing Times of Life. Have you ever gone through a time of life where it just seems like the life was crashing in around you? You felt like you were being crushed under the pressure of life? You doubted if the in, what was on the inside of you could sustain what was going on the outside of you? Sometimes I feel like I don't have days where life is crushing in on me. I have seasons of life where life is crushing. Am I communicating? Anybody know what I'm talking about? If, if, if life would just crush up on me for a day, I could sustain it. But the problem is I usually don't have a day that goes bad. I usually have a season where life seems to be crushing in on me. And today I want to talk to you about how to survive the crushing times of life. And the answer you're going to discover is this, Jesus. And Jesus went through some crushing times. And we're going to look at one of those times today. This is sort of leading up to Easter. Matthew 26. This sort of just takes place right after what we've been preaching about the last few weeks. After Jesus left the, uh, the Last Supper, it says he went with them to an olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit down here for a while as I go and pray over there. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And Jesus told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. You ever heard something that just broke, broke your heart? Have you ever, ever went through a relational crisis and it just crushed you? Jesus is describing that. My heart is crushed with grief. Stay here and watch with me. So he went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me for just an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you don't give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went down and prayed a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Father, each of us 
have crushing times of our life, and God, even on our worst days, I'm not really sure if what we go through is equal to what you went through. And Father, a lot of times what I go through is, is tied to my own doing. But God, what you went through had nothing to do with what you were doing uh, yourself. What you went through was because really of what I was doing, what each of us in this room were doing. For you carried the weight of our sin and the weight of our mistakes, and you even carried the weight of our grief and the, the recompense of those mistakes, the result of that mistake upon yourself. So God, I pray that this morning you'll help me to preach this word to this people, that each of us, each of us would hear with our, our, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, We'd see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, and we'll give you thanks for it. May the, everybody in the room say amen. amen. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus knew every day what was about to happen. He was not a victim of circumstance. He was not a victim of bad timing. He was not a victim of a, uh, a ruthless mob or a, a plan of evil people. He freely gave his life for us. And so here he is, knowing what is coming, knowing that the crucifixion is truly just hours away, torture is hours away, death is hours away. I mean, Jesus does one thing. He goes to a garden and he prays. So here he is, he's praying. He's praying in response of what is going to come. And here's the thing, he's praying alone because no one gets it. You ever been going through something and no one understood what you were going through? No one got it? No one got it with Jesus. His disciples are sleeping. His disciples are snoring. Jesus is stressed out. He's praying urgently. He, he, he feels the weight of the world of, on his shoulders. He knows everything you've ever felt. He's experiencing all of that. He's told the disciples over and over again that I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. He's explained to them, but none of it get it. Well, Pastor, how do you know that none of them get it? Because they're sleeping. How do you know if, if these disciples would have known what was about to happen the next day, they would have been praying? They would have been awake. They would have, would have been watching. If they would have known that Judas was about to show up with, a, with a, a band of soldiers and take Jesus prisoner, they would have been watching to give him a warning, but instead they're sleeping. No one knows how Jesus is feeling. And I read that scripture and I think, how, how lonely that must have felt for Jesus. To have those closest to you not even really concerned about what is bothering you. And when you read the garden time of prayer, we see Jesus surrender and resolve. Or he, he, he surrenders with a resolve that says, Lord, it's not about me. It's about your will being done. It's about pleasing you. And in this time of grief and overwhelming pressure, Jesus prays, God, not your will, but mine be done. He completely, totally commits to the will of God no matter how high the price. And today I want to ask one question, I want to answer one question, is how can we embrace, how can we exemplify, how can we mimic, how can we embrace the values of Jesus and the response of Jesus when we find our own selves in times of crushing as well? Because Jesus says over and over again, I know, I know you're waiting on me to get to the good part, and I'm not sure, we'll get, there'll be some good parts at some place, I'm sure, but you know, Jesus kind of said, hey, people aren't going to treat you any better than they treated me. All right, to follow the example of Christ and to expect a different result from what he received is sort of crazy, isn't it? 
If you act like Jesus, people are going to treat you like Jesus. Which, by the way, wasn't that great. So if I want to love people like Jesus, love them. Confront them as Jesus confronted them. Then people are going to respond to me probably like they responded to him, which drove Jesus to the garden. It drove him to a crushing moment in his life. And so many of us in this room, we're going to be driven through some crushing seasons as well. And so the question I want to ask is, what do we do when we find ourselves in crushing seasons? What do we do when we find ourselves in the garden as Jesus was? I just want to give you three things this morning. Number one, you have to realize and remember that Jesus knows how you feel and what you face. If you're sitting close to someone, why don't you just tell them Jesus knows how you feel. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. It's really easy, and many, many times I have read this scripture that my soul is crushed to the point of death. I've read this scripture, and I've assumed that Jesus, since Jesus knows everything, that what's going on is he is looking forward, and he knows that in the next 24 hours, I'm about to be beaten, I'm about to be whipped, I'm about to be lied upon, I'm about to have some nails driven through my hands, I'm about to have some, some you know, a spear put in my side, I'm about to have a crown of thorns that they're going to weave together and put on my head. I'm about to be ashamed. I'm about to be embarrassed. I'm about to be accused of all kind of awful things that I've never done. And I've always assumed that, that Jesus is crushed with grief because of all the physical things that, he's, that are coming his way. And though that may be a part of it, I believe it's a small part of it. Well, pastor, if Jesus was not grieved over the pain in his flesh he was about to feel, then what on earth was he grieved about? Let me just give you some answers from Scripture. Isaiah 53 says it like this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. Why was Jesus overcome? Why was he crushed with grief in the garden? Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, th this, these words, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. You know what was causing Jesus' grief in the garden? My sin. Your sin. You know what was causing Jesus' grief in the garden? Not just my sin and your sin, but how many know the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? It's not chocolate and ice cream. It's death and destruction. And, the, and so when you and I sin, we are heaping upon ourselves death and destruction. But in the garden, Jesus is crushed with, with grief and iniquity because when you and I sin, we are shoving up pain. We are shoving up disease. We are shoving up heartache. We are shoving up pain and anguish and all these things. But what we're doing is every time we're sin, Jesus went to the cross and he went to the garden so that when we shovel up that death and destruction, we're shoveling it onto his shoulders. Now he is crushed. With every sin and every pain and every bit of shame, some of you think, well, my sin is my business. No, sir. No, ma'am. Because while you were born, while you were yet a sinner, while you were still wallowing in your own sin and destruction, Jesus Christ took your sin, took your shame, and put it on his back and carried it up Calvary. And he died upon the cross for you and for me. This is not just your business. God made your business his business in the garden. He was crushed for your iniquities. No one knows how I feel. 
There's a Greek word for that. It's called malarkey. <laughs> Jesus knows how you feel before you even felt it. What is breaking your heart today broke Jesus' heart 2,000 years ago. Now here's the question. Welcome to the party. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to respond like Jesus responded? Or are you just going to believe the lie of the enemy? Well, what's the lie of the enemy? Here's the lie of the enemy. No one knows and no one cares. And the reason we like to believe the lie that no one knows and no one cares is because as long as we believe no one knows and no one cares, then that sort of gives us permission to respond how we want to and not how God wants us to. So the grief Jesus is experiencing is not just dread over the beating that is coming. He is looking into the cup of suffering and the cup of sin that he would be carrying for you. And I, every bit of sin, every bit of suffering that humanity had ever faced, was facing, or would face, he carried it to the cross. He's feeling it in the garden. As a matter of fact, any crushing blows you're feeling today, Jesus felt that exact blow the night that he was in the garden. Matter of fact, the garden... How many remember the name of the garden? I just read it a few minutes ago. Gethsemane. When Jesus goes to pray in Gethsemane, the, the name Gethsemane simply means olive press, our crushing place. See, a, a huge, the major part of the economy in that part of the world in Jesus' day and even this day was olive oil and olives. Olive oil was used for everything in Jesus' day. I mean, it's just like, it's just a commodity that, that was so necessary. But you can't get olive oil out of olives unless you first do something. You got to press it. You got to crush it. You got to take what is whole and break it so that the virtue, that the oil, that the gift can come out of the olive oil. Isn't it something that Jesus who had the divine nature of God inside of him, goes to the pressing place and the crushing place, and as he prays and as he spends his time with the Lord, what is happening in Gethsemane is just like what happened to the olives in that place day after day, year after year. Jesus is going so that he can be crushed, so that the virtue that is in him can flow out into you. He's in a crushing place. But what flows out of him was for you and for me. All of us will have crushing moments in our lives. I've got some friends here in town that I may have shared this with you before, but I've got some friends here in town that, that went through some very crushing moments of their life. I'll never forget when I, I didn't even know the extent of what they were going through, but just in passing, matter of fact, at the mailbox, we had this conversation. When one of our friends told us a, a snig, just a snippet of what was going on, and she made this statement, she said, you know, Greg, you never know what's in something until you crush it. You never know what's in a grape until it's squeezed. You never know if it's bitter or if it's sweet. 
So we've just decided, even though we're in a place where we feel like we're being pressed and squeezed, that whatever comes out of us is going to be pleasing to God. You know why Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done? He was, part of it was this. He was saying, Lord, I am being crushed. I am being, I am being pressed. Just like the olives in this garden are pressed all the time so that the good that's into them can be enjoyed by others. That's exactly a picture of what's going on with Jesus. He is being crushed. He is being pressed. And, and, and he's doing that for you so that all the goodness of him can also be experienced by you. But we've got to make the same decisions in our pressing moments. That's what is in us. It's going to be Jesus so that what comes out of us is also Jesus. And something you may say, Pastor, I think that's impossible for me to do. This is so hard. You know, Jesus committed to it. He committed to stay on the right track of his father. He said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And Luke chapter 22 records this account, and he adds something different that Matthew didn't record. It says that after Jesus prayed this thing three times, it says that the angels came and ministered to him. The angels came and strengthened him. Well, what does that look like? You ready to hear? I don't know. But in a pressing place, he stayed on track with God. And he received strength he didn't have before. Sometimes we think that relief and healing and wholeness comes from hitting eject and getting out of the crushing place. But for Jesus, his strength and he came by submitting to God in the middle of his crushing place. In other words, if he had ran out of the garden when the crushing came, he would have missed his divine moment with the angels that God had for him. Be careful. There's, be careful when, when the pressures of life want to send you running instead of praying. Because you might miss out on what God has for you. Number two. Second thing we learn about how to respond in the crushing times is we learn that Jesus is the only way to salvation. We learn that in the garden. Sort of two, two meanings I want to draw out of that. The first one's kind of obvious. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. Salvation's found in another name except for Jesus. Acts 10, 43 says, All that prophesy about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, 5 says there's only one God. There's only one mediator between God and man. It's, it's the man Christ Jesus. There's a lot of popular opinion in our world today that says all, all religions are equal, that there are multiple paths to God, that all religions worship the same God anyway. And if you believe that, what you have done is you've just slapped Jesus across the face and you have says the, you've said the cross and his death and his resurrection was unnecessary. You're saying that Jesus coming to earth was a waste. You say, well, pastor, I just really wish, and, and I just, I wish it so much. I have to believe that there's a, there's a, there's a different way to God besides Jesus. You know who else wished that same wish? I'm going to mess you up right here. Do you know who else wished there was a separate way to salvation? Jesus. He didn't pray one time. He didn't pray two times. He prayed three times. 
Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. You see in the garden, Jesus' flesh and his spirit submitting to the plan of God. Jesus is praying, God, if there's any other way, and if there was another way to salvation, if there was another way to be right with God, this would be the moment in history where God could have spoke through an angel and said, okay, you don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. I mean, I sent you to earth that those who could be far away could be brought near. I sent you to earth to, to fulfill the, 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 the promise I made in Genesis chapter 3 that, that you could crush the head of the serpent, that people could be free, that those who are separated from me could come together again. I know this has all been part of a history that stretches a couple of centuries, but you know, there's a second way. Or there's a third way, or there's a fourth way, or there's a fifth way, there's 27 ways. But there's not. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father because he was the only way. This was the only way. And some of you have, I know there's people in our world that have problem with this exclusiveness, this exclusive claim of Jesus to be the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Which, by the way, those are the words of Jesus I'm quoting. So if you don't believe that, you're not discrediting my words. You're discrediting the words of Jesus. Matter of fact, if you're, let me just tell you, make sure you're making the right choice this morning. If you're saying there's other ways to salvation than besides Jesus, what you're saying in the same breath is that Jesus is not a way at all. Because if Jesus is a way at all, then he has to, if he's, he's either true or he's not. And what he said was, I am the way exclusively and he doesn't say this out of a desire to exclude people he says it out of a desire to include people he wants people included in his father's house he wants people included in this gift of salvation so the only way he can include people is to make sure he tells them all the false ways if I want you to spend the afternoon with me at my house and you don't know where I live, don't I need to tell you that, hey, the way to my house is that way? At the same time, I don't I need to tell you it's not that way? I mean, if you go that way, you got to go all the way around the world and back again, and it's still, you're back here. It's not that way. By the way, it's not that way either. Right? I got, I, I've got to be honest about which way it's not. And me telling you, well, it's not that way, and it's not that way, and it's not that way, and it's not that way. Every way that I tell you it's not, it's not because I don't want you at my house. It's because I do want you at my house. He's the only way. But the garden, it doesn't just remind us of the necessity of Jesus for salvation and the necessity of us to share Jesus with others. It's not just a theological way to get to heaven. Jesus is also the way that we get heaven into us, right? It's who we call on in the times of trouble. Psalms 145 says the Lord is nigh to those. He's close to those who call upon him. He's our help. He's our help of salvation, not just, not just soul salvation from this life to the next, but he's also our source of salvation right here on planet Earth. 
The third thing we fight when we fight uh, the crushing moments is we have to learn, Jesus shows us in the garden, we fight our crushing moments in prayer. Out of all the responses Jesus could have had, knowing that the clock was literally ticking, hours left on his life, we talked about the time he spent with people last week, but then his closing moments he spent with God. Jesus fights his battles in prayer. Let me ask you this question. How good are you at fighting your battles in prayer? Are you better at fighting them with manipulation with people? Are you better at fighting them trying to buy your way into a solution? Are you better at, you know, just nagging somebody to get them to do what you want to do? Are you better at prayer? You know, the reason Judas knows where to find Jesus is not, be, not because Jesus was hiding out in the garden. It's because the garden place was a familiar place. Luke chapter 5 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. This is a place where Jesus often withdrew to pray. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was how he fueled his life regularly. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you picked up on this, but Jesus told the disciples, could you not pray with me for an hour? Part of the reason Jesus asked that, and I'll say this in a minute, but it was because he wanted people to partner with him. But one of the responses when Jesus says, why are you sleeping? He said, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. See, one of the ways we fight tomorrow's battle is with prayer today. A lack of prayer in my life today leads to a lack of spiritual strength in my life tomorrow. Did you know I can miss a day of prayer today and not feel it, and I can even get away with it sometimes. But then tomorrow, when I face something that's bigger than me, it hurts. One person said that prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. Jesus was doing serious business in the garden. Megan, if you want to come, I'll give you these real quick. Number one, Jesus prayed a prayer of preparation in the garden. Jesus didn't wait until the crushing moments came. To start to pray, he prayed before the crushing moments came. I know we're in the middle of basketball season right now. There's a little basketball game tomorrow night, I heard. Uh, some of you might be watching. I heard, a, I heard a great coach say that he never found out at the game whether his team would win or lose. He said, I could usually tell you by the end of our last practice whether we were going to win or lose. He said, because we either took our practice serious or we didn't. Many times, prayer is the same way. Our victory, our defeat, is oftentimes a result of how much time have I spent with the Lord in preparation for what I'm fighting today. Today's prayer is preparing you for tomorrow's battle. Number two, Jesus prayed a submitted prayer. He said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 5 says. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today. It says, during, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered prayers and petitions fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission Jesus didn't pray to complete his agenda he prayed to make sure he was in step with God's agenda it was a submitted prayer Jesus prayed a partnering prayer how do we understand there's 
power when we pray in partnership with one, one with another. And we need to pray one for another. We need people that will pray with us. Matthew 18, Jesus said, I tell you, if any two of you on earth agree about anything, you can ask for it, and it'll be done by my Father. There's prayer. There's power in agreement. And then last but not least, I've said this a few minutes ago, Jesus received strength from prayer. He got up from praying in the garden. God had sent angels to strengthen him. He, he walked out of that prayer time with strength he didn't walk in with. God had strengthened him. Our strength to fight our crushing moments isn't enough in our own strength. We need the strength of the Lord. And I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Jesus said to those sleeping disciples, he says, man, your, your spirits are strong and your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You know, the Apostle Paul had some moments like that. He said, I, I, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. It's like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't have the strength to do it. He needed the help of God. And today you say, Pastor, I need the help of God. Maybe you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Maybe you know exactly what God has called you to do. Maybe you know exactly what Christ has asked you to do in this season. But it's a season of crushing. It's a season of pain. It's a season of pressing. I want to tell you, Jesus knows how you feel. And He is the way through. And like Him, we would love to partner with you in prayer today that God will see you through this moment. So this is going to be a private prayer time, but I would like to personally know who it is I'm praying for today. Say, Pastor, I'm in a crushing time of my life, and I need the strength of God. Would you just lift your hand real quick? Says me, Pastor, pray for me. Amen. 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 Before I ask you to stand with me, I want to ask you just to commit in this moment. The Father, I'm going to stay submitted to your will. I'm going to stay submitted to your plan. And God, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay in the garden. I'm going to stay in the place you've put me spiritually. I'm not going to push eject on the plan of God or the will of God. Jesus submitted to the plan of God. Because he stayed put and he stayed positioned. The ministering angels came and gave him strength. He didn't try to get out of the pressure. He didn't try to run from the pain. Instead, he ran to his father. And when you run to the father, if you discover something greater than just relief, you discover strength. And I believe this morning God is wanting to strengthen, strengthen you today. The pressing may not go away. The crushing may not go away. But what can change is your ability to stand underneath the pressure. What can change is your ability to stand underneath the crushing. To where if something does flow out of you, it's the healing of God and not the bitterness of people. It's the joy of the Lord and not the despair of disappointment. And so that's why I'm praying over every person lifted their hand. 
If you're in the room today, you're in a crushing place. That's my prayer over you as well. So would you join me by standing all across this room? We're all going to stand together. And I want to ask you just to receive this prayer. If you want to pray with me, fantastic. But I just really feel like my duty today, my job today is to pray this over us as a church today. Father, I'm thankful that you went to Gethsemane for me. God, you went to the crushing place. You went to the pressing place so that no battle I ever have to fight do I ever have to fight it alone. God, nothing that ever presses on me has it not already pressed on you. And God, you bore up under it with strength that I don't have. And God, you partnered in prayer with the Father and you discovered strength that I don't have. But Lord, just as you dispensed that, that strength was dispensed to you, God, I pray today it is dispensed to this congregation. God, from the youngest person to the oldest adult this morning, I pray the strength of God would have flowed into people's lives. And I pray if there are those in this room who are undergoing press, pressing time, Lord, it feels like their soul is being crushed even to the point of death. God, I'm thankful you know exactly where they are and how they feel, and they are not foreign to you. But God, in the middle of their crushing place, you have healing for them. In the middle of their pressing place, you have strength for them. In the middle of this place, it seems like it's going to just erode and steal the purpose of God. It's actually going to be redeemed for the purpose of God because you have great, you have great plans beyond the garden. God, the, the, the Gethsemane was not the ending place. It was the launching place so that the world would know the strength of the God we serve. And I pray this morning the Gethsemane moments that are in people's lives today would not be the end of their story, but would be a new launching pad where the strength of God can be discovered and experienced like never before. So God, I pray as people walk out of this building in just a moment, they will walk in strength they didn't have before. They'll walk with determination they didn't have before. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.